0: Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. Good morning. Depending on where you are joining me from, my name is Barton Seaver. I'm a chef, author, uh, founder here of Seafood Literacy, the Ruby Course, and really a proud member of the Ruby family. And thank you for being a member of the Ruby family and for joining me here today. I'm so happy to have you. This is uh, the topic that we've covered before, but it's always good to revisit crabs, 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 everyone's favorite Well, Decapod at least, I think, but um, a a versatile and vast culinary ingredient category that I'm excited to be showcasing with you here today. Got a couple of things that I'm going to show you, a couple little demos. Um, I've got just about an hour with you today before daycare duties call me away from you into my, from, from the Ruby family to my own family. So, uh... But a a couple things to start off with, any of you who have joined me before know that I like to start off with a little moment of gratitude because cooking for people, feeding ourselves is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. And the very best way to start that process is with a moment of gratitude and respect for the process that we're doing. So before we dive into this today, something that I'm grateful for, well, I'm grateful for sunshine because we still got 55 degree days up here on the ragged, jagged, delicious coast of Maine, where I am joining you from today. So yeah. 55 is still pretty cold unless the sun's shining on you. And then we're out there with no shirt on and shorts and yeah. Hardy Maners we. but also because, uh, I was doing a little bit of film work this morning for a group that I work with a grocery store down out of Texas H E B that did a really great job. Anyway, I was filming, uh, a grilling segment for them featuring Dungeness crabs. And, uh, yeah. So for my lunch, I got to sit down to a giant heaping feast of wood-grilled Dungeness crabs over a grilled corn, jalapeno, red onion, cherry, tomato, mint, and grilled peach salad that was all just mixed up with some butter with some spicy Asian mix in it. Right, Yeah. So that was my lunch, and I am so thrilled to be here with you today after that. So anyway, I hope that you will find something that you are grateful for. Take a moment to pause in your busy daily lives to just, well, give thanks for yourself and give thanks to those, uh, for those who we are able to feed. So let's dive in. Crabs. All right. So uh, there's a whole lot of species of crabs and it's a very versatile category in that, well, it's rarely the sort of the center of the plate, if you will, as a, you know, a fish fillet is, well, it's a big filet of fish, right? And so you cut out a portion of it. Well, crab meat, crab meat tends to be very small. There's some crabs that are, that are large, um, like king crabs, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, you can mix it with mayonnaise and jalapeno and stuff it into an avocado. You can make crab cakes out of it. You can make bisques out of it, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different types of meat of crabs. So that's why I think of it as so much fun to use is that it's, well, it's always different. So my love of crabs started when I was a little boy. I, I have pictures of me in utero uh, in my mom's belly down at the Main Avenue Seafood Wharf down in Washington, D.C., where I grew up, standing in front of the crabs. And then, well, throughout my whole life, we were uh, so fortunate to eat that, that delicacy of the Mid-Atlantic down through the South regions. And um, yeah, well, that's just my love affair with all things seafood began there. But uh, the blue crab is really the one that I consider well most iconic just because it's, it's been part of my history. But there are crabs that come from all over the place, uh, but they share some general characteristics to them. So I was able to get three varieties of crab uh, for some reason. Right now, the uh, supply chain isn't, isn't doing so well, but uh, I've got some king crab legs for you. I've got a Dungeness crab coming over from our friends in Alaska, and I've got some rock crab, also known as Jonah crab. So this is a main product. Uh, I was hoping to get some soft shell crabs for you today, but I wasn't able to get them. So anyway, yeah, let's dive into just what a crab looks like. How's that, huh? Well, here's a crab. This is a Dungeness crab. These are coming, these uh, I got cooked and then frozen. And this is a really good and effective way to get uh, a lot of types of crabs, um, especially those from Alaska, which are coming from waters very far away. So, getting a live tank of water from Alaska down to the state to the lower 48 just isn't economically feasible to ship all that water. So, they're largely cooked in a brine solution, uh, very close to harvest, and then they are deep frozen, and you know what? The quality of them is It's impeccable, so it's something that I really enjoy to use. So a crab, there are two types of crabs that we'll talk about really from a culinary perspective. One is a walking crab, uh, which is what a dungeness is. It uses its four walking legs to scurry about the bottom, and then it, of course, has the claw, the pincer and the grabber claw, etc. cetera. And then there are swimming crabs, which is the, the other variety. Like a blue crab is a swimmer crab. And though they can certainly walk around and scuttle about, uh, they use their back, their back legs here are called sculling legs or, or their are flippers. And they use those to, to flit about through the water sideways. And it's really a, a beautiful thing. But Callinectes uh, is the Latin name and it means beautiful swimmer which is uh, also the title of a book that uh, I really love by a gentleman, William Warner, about the sort of the culture of capturing crabs in the Chesapeake Bay. So I highly recommend that, it's an older book, but really, really a wonderful book. Anyway, so swimming crabs have slightly different forms of meat just because that back leg here is so much stronger because it does the swimming, so it has the jumbo lump meat back in here that sort of powers that leg. Whereas walking crabs have sort of evenly distributed and slightly smaller lumps of meat around all of those. So let's dive into how to clean a crab. I know that was one of the questions that we uh, came up here from Marcy. I think. Hey there, these crustaceans intimidate me. So I've only ever bought a crab in a can. Will you show how to choose, cook, and test for doneness, and how to get the meat out without making a disaster in the kitchen? You got it, Marcy. Of course. So as I mentioned, this is a This was pre-cooked and then frozen. That's a great way to get them. If you are dealing with live crabs, um, well, if you're dealing with raw crabs, they should be alive. Uh, Crustaceans uh, go bad so quickly just because of the environments that they live in, the amount of bacteria that can be on their shells that can get introduced. I mean, it's just, they're not dirty by any means. It's just that there's a lot of moving parts on a crab, more so than a salmon, right? So crabs, lobsters, shrimp, they can all go bad very, very quickly after death. So if you're, if you're going to utilize raw crab, make sure that they are alive, they should be feisty. Uh, crabs are notoriously angry, uh, little cantankerous things and in fact the carcinos and cancer, Uh, which are the derivative words from Latin and Greek from which crab comes from. They also share that with the world's most deadly disease cancer too. So anyway, they are nasty, belligerent, bellicose, little dudes and women, crab, lady crab, whatever. Sorry. And uh, yeah, so you want them to be feisty. You want them to be alive and active. And that shows that they've come out of the water relatively recently. Uh, And so they're still full of the energy, they're still full of food, etc. So they they haven't begun any degradation process. Don't pick up a crab by the front, a live crab. Right? You know why? Because that's where these claws are hurt. right? It's gonna hurt to pick up a live crab. You go under it like this, grab it from the back, and you are safe. There is no crab that I know of that I've ever picked up that can get under me like that to get you. So you're always safe with this, or use tongs. Uh, To cook crabs, I use uh, the steaming method. I find that that is easier than boiling, necessarily. Um, So steaming, I will have a, a big pot, a very big pot, capable of holding a good bit of water, but also a good amount of room to cook a number of crabs. Uh, bring that to a boil. It can be seasoned with spices. Old Bay is my favorite, but whatever seasoning you want, of course, would be good. Uh, Season that water heavily and then drop the crabs in. Uh, I I do it face first. I believe that that is the best method, A, because it keeps you safe, um, but also because it kills the crabs a lot quicker. Um, And I believe that that is, is an important aspect of both just humane care of them, but also of the quality of the crab, uh, the various crab doneness times and crabs vary so much that I can't really give it a, a, a done this time, but blue crabs anywhere from eight minutes to 11 minutes to maybe 15 max depends on how many you are cooking, uh, done this when the carapace or the shell uh, has completely changed color when the legs have folded under and when you can crack the crab in half and, well, the meat that it's inside is set. If it's not quite set yet, fine. Throw it back in the pot. It's you're not going to hurt it by cooking a little bit longer. But uh, I would just look up on the internet. If, when you go to do this, look up those times and use that as a gauge or guide. So uh, once they are cooked, you pull them out, you can eat them hot if you want to put some more spice seasoning over top of them, put some newspaper out on a picnic table outside or inside maybe some picnic, and some, maybe some paper and tape it to the ceiling as well so you don't get anything up there. But um, yeah, you can eat them hot and just kind of take your time in a crab feast or let them cool down a little bit until they're cool enough to handle and then start breaking them down. And that's what we'll do here. Uh, breaking down a swimming crab or a walking crab is about the same. So one thing to point out is that with frozen crabs, you're gonna have some exudation, you're gonna have some liquid loss. So when thawing these out, and something like a Dungeness takes about two days to thaw out under refrigeration, make sure you've got a big tray underneath that's going to catch all that liquid so it doesn't end up everywhere else in your fridge, but also because that liquid is rather flavorful because it came in from inside of the crab. So I would use that. If I'm making some pasta, put that into the pasta water, or even you know use that to finish the pasta at the end. Simmer it, the al dente pasta with some butter, a little bit of the pasta cooking water, and some of the crab exudation. You're gonna get a whole lot of flavor out of that. So don't dump that out. Sometimes with like king crabs and such, the the exudation is gonna be more just about the 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 ice sheath that's placed on the outside when they're frozen to protect them from freezer burn and oxidation. Um, and that water is just melt water, so you don't really need to save that. <coughs> excuse me. All right, so I've got the crab here, dry it off. First thing to do is to pull back the tablier, Table. So this is the little uh, flap that is underneath the crab, and what that allows you to do is gain, I'm gonna get another tray, excuse me to do this over, because you're gonna have all sorts of stuff coming out. So once you have that pulled back, get your finger up under that shell, the carapace, this is called, and you just rotate that off and back. And what you're gonna find in here is a lot of sort of the head matter. That's right behind the eyes. You're going to find uh, some of the lungs, also known as dead man's fingers, which line the side of that, the crab here, so that's the, the face forward. So the lungs are right here. And then you've got some of the internal organs, the hepatopancreas, which is a also known as the mustard, um, which is spicy, uh, just a really wonderful flavor to it. Uh, it performs, the organ performs both the function of a kidney and a liver, thus hepatopancreas. Um, and so it's all in there and that comes out. These lungs are not good to eat. They're very bitter. They're just, they're just no fun. So pull those off. And if you're doing a soft shell crab, those those do need to be cleaned out before you saute the rest of it. And then the easiest thing to do is to crack this right in half. That gives you access to the cavities where the leg muscles attach there. So I like a little bit of that hepatopancreas in the mix of the crab meat for really regardless of whatever I'm doing with it. But I don't need a whole lot of it. Crabs, lobsters are um, scavengers. <coughs> there can be some toxicity buildup in the uh, in the mustard in the pa- hepatopancreas. It's not significant. It's not severe, but... Eh, I use just a very little of it to flavor things. It's not something that I would put front and center. So I'm going to clean some of that out. And then again, you just kind of keep cracking in half. And what you're doing is se- uh, separating those segments and those legs, and they will naturally crack apart right there. And those, that meat is now connected by little bits of cartilage that sort of wrap around it both interior and exterior shell, or ex, ex, uh, skeleton there. So peel that back and you're left with these nice big jumbo lumps, right? And that's, that's where that term comes from, jumbo lump. So you can use this just as your dipper right there and eat the whole thing, uh, or you can just kind of finagle your hands in there and pull that out and then you get these nice big lumps which are perfect for crab meat. Then to get the claws, or sorry, the rest of the leg, rotate away from the mechanism of that. And then I'm just going to use, use my hands here. A crab cracker is, of course, a good thing. So, Marcy, you're asking how not to make a mess in your kitchen. You're going to, is the truth of it, no matter how good at this you are. And you know what? A little bit of mess is okay, so long as, especially if you plan for it. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen. So I did not do a very good job of that because I crushed it when I was um, breaking the shell there. But normally in these legs, you get these wonderful big pieces of meat. I'll do that again. So just rotate off of the body and you get that nice big lump on a blue crab that might be smaller. So you might use a little fork or something to get in there again, sort of rotate up or down in a way. And then Just a light crack. I kind of crushed this one too. So, sorry. there we go. When you do it right, you get these really nice, big pieces of meat that just, they're easy to eat. They present beautifully. Uh, They're awesome in crab cakes because you can really see that big lump pieces. Uh, but, of course, they're also great in pasta, et cetera. So you just go through this whole process, going down and around. The claws are a little bit more complicated. This piece here is just as the other legs are. But the claws, obviously, you have a little bit more going on. Next thing to do is to rotate. Same thing. Use the sort of go against the mechanism of how the shell is supposed to move. And you'll be able to do that. And you'll pull this piece of cartilage directly out of that uh, giant piece of meat that's in there and there you go. There's your cartilage less claw. So I could go on and on. I could clean the rest of this thing leisurely while I'm talking to you, but I'm going to put it aside for now. But I will point out that uh, there are many different types of meat in the crab. I was talking about just the leg meat, the lump meat, uh, the claw meat there, but uh, we don't want to waste anything in the animal that we can use. So within blue crabs specifically, there's a lot of different kinds of meat. There'd be the claw meat. There's the tip meat. Uh, there's a paste, which is made from all of the edible, the remaining edible parts that are sort of scraped out and mixed together into a paste that's used to flavor gumbos, jambalayas, uh, bisques, etc. Very, very cost-effective, huge, beautiful, delicious, sweet crab flavor, but without the cost of you know, looking for these big, servable pieces of lump. And then, especially in the uh, late autumn, when crabs have fattened up for their winter hibernation, hi- um, hibernation, in the corner of the inside of the carapace here, you'll be able to scrape out all this delicious crab fat. Now, it's not much to look at, admittedly, but it is huge on flavor. Huge on flavor. Make a crab fat toast, etc. just little pieces of, of a toasted baguette, whatever, white bread, um, mix that into a sauce, mix that into your pasta, etc. cetera. A huge flavor, really nice luscious texture to it. So all across the inside of that shell, you'll find that crab fat. So there you go with a Dungeness crab. I'm just gonna wash my hands up here for a sec. Now, other crab, the Dungeness is really satisfying also because it has about a twenty-four percent yield, uh, whereas a blue crab is about thirteen percent meat to live weight. Dungeness twenty-four percent. King crabs, uh, well, there's a, a lot more yield in these because it's it's mostly meat. Being also those animals are so big that we don't ship the whole thing. Um, so Dungeness is really satisfying in that way. One crab is is really quite a meal uh, especially if it's mixed with mussels and clams and whitefish and a chipino style soup but we'll talk about another uh, variety of crab which is the rock crab a Dungeness is a rock crab it is one of the larger of uh, but this is the Jonah crab as I was mentioning this is from here in Maine now you'll see that the rock crab has this very small meat and it shreds apart a little bit I don't know if you can. Really zoom in and see that. But it's very delicate, but very incredibly sweet, nuanced flavor to it. Salty, briny, hint of iodine in the... It's so good. (laughs) Hint of iodine in the back palate to it, but um, you're not going to get as many of those big jumbo lumps to it, so it's not quite as good of a presenting crab, if you will. Great in pastas, great for crab cakes, etc., If you're making crab cakes, and this is true across the board, the first thing that I do is I mix, and I keep my crab cakes very simple. I do mayonnaise, lemon juice, a little bit of breadcrumb, and maybe some seasoning like Old Bay. And what I do is I mix the panko crumbs or challah bread crumbs with the mayonnaise, the lemon juice, and the seasonings first. And I mix all of that up. Why? because that's really what you need to get your fingers in there to, to mash all together, right? And I don't want to mash the crab down to just a paste. So mix the mayonnaise, let the panko or the breadcrumbs have some time to absorb the lemon juice, to absorb the mayonnaise, to soften out a little bit so that, you well, know, they just, the whole thing integrates a little bit better. And then you can just very delicately fold in those, those pieces of crab meat and a crab cake should be, in my opinion, ninety percent plus or uh, crab. Uh, so it's just enough binder to hold the thing together. So, and if your crab cakes aren't holding together, the answer is that you're probably messing around with them too much, right? A crab cake. It, I mean, if you can just use an ice cream scoop and get a scoop of it and put it on a sizzle plate and put it under the broiler, that's it. I mean, that, that's all you need to do, right? But if it falls apart because you're sauteing it or you're grilling it or et cetera, et cetera, like maybe rethink how much you're touching it um, rather than necessarily adding the gummy paste of more bread to it. So the rock crab, uh, a couple different varieties of this. There's lots of varieties of this on the West Coast as well, whether you're box crabs, spider crab, brown crabs, uh, red crabs. I mean, there's a whole lot of them. They're almost always just sold as rock crabs and they really are interchangeable from a culinary perspective. So. When buying this type of crab, whether it's blue crab, jumbo lump, dungeness meat, etc., the thing that you want to look for is large, big pieces. Uh, typically, blue crab is sold in a uh, you know non, non-transparent plastic tub with a transparent top. You want to look through there. You want to see those big pieces of lump or whatever you're paying for on top. Um, you want to see as much of the crab as you can. I like these containers because I can look at the bottom as well. This one came with a little lock on it. But when I was a kid growing up, and especially with the blue crab, you could take the top off without breaking a seal to it. And the thing that you do, and this is what the crab, what the experts really do, is then they turn it over, they flip it over like this. And so you got this beautiful sort of crab mold, but now you can actually see what's in there. And guess what? They put all the big lumps on the top and there's all the smaller stuff on the bottom, right? So not that you're trying to not that you're trying to defraud you out of anything, but just make sure you're getting what you pay for and give it a smell. The stuff at the top doesn't smell so much. Why? Well, it hasn't it's been exposed to air a little bit more and it's just it doesn't have the moisture that's at the bottom. So if you want to check the quality, that's where you get the best cue to it. So if you're in a grocery store, maybe they're not going to let you do this, but you know, look at purchase dates, et cetera, and there's a lot there. So this is fresh crab meat. There's also frozen. There's pasteurized crab meat. There's shelf-stable crab meat. I, I'm a fan of all of it for its various uses and purposes. Um, and pastas is garnished for soup mixed with mayonnaise and guacamole and stuffed into an avocado and broiled. I mean, it's, it's great. It's delicious. So whatever fits your budget, whatever you're working with, whatever you have access to, it's all good quality product. Um, fresh to me is, is sort of King because it has the most nuance and sort of that subtle sea sweetness to it. But there you go. So that's how you check the quality. So Marcy, uh, I mean, there was a lot in that answer. It was a great question to prompt a lot of the things that I wanted to talk about today, but I hope that, uh, that gets to the most of the things you're talking about there. So let's take another question. I'll get over to King crabs. Uh, uh, Let's see. Another one from Marcy. Marcy, second question. Can you talk about what shellfish in general find themselves right now in the world of ethical fishing and sustainability? Don't know much about shellfish in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is what I spend my my career doing, really, is around sustainable seafood. Um, So crabs have historically been sort of subject to boom and bust, but uh, crabs in the United States uh, are fairing okay, uh, depending on the areas that you're in. So in Alaska, where uh, sustainability is mandated and written into the state constitution, sustainable management of resources, uh, they do a very good job there. Um, and so anything from Alaska, you can you can say it's sustain; it is sustainable. I really do believe that. Uh, in other parts of the country, it's really about habitat loss. It's about overnutrification of waters. Uh, it's about overfishing, especially in the Chesapeake Bay areas and around there, where the crab populations have been decimated. But those crabs coming out of Lake Bourne, uh, Lake Pontchartrain, down uh, New Orleans way, uh, out of the Gulf, they those populations are in pretty good shape. So, generally, I'm a fan that uh, of domestic product being considered sustainable simply because that the management over it, uh, is, uh, requires science based evidence and has the teeth, uh, to actually act on that science and to make recommendations that must be followed. So if my, my, if my belief, if you believe in the system, you should believe in the products of the system. Right. And that's what I, that's how I think about domestic crab fisheries. Um, so and a lot of uh, the East coast crab fisheries are very near shore. I mean, Crabs are caught in very shallow waters, like Chesapeake, uh, where they spend most of their time. Anyway, so those are quite close to people. Whereas up in Alaska, obviously, it's very far away. And if you've ever seen Deadliest Catch, you know uh, what it takes to get these to our tables. So, uh, from a sustainability standpoint, I, I think they're they're good. There's a lot of imported crab in the market. A lot of it coming out of Venezuela. Uh, which has some issues around it, uh, both from a trade perspective, but also from sustainability. Uh, There's a lot coming out of the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, and there have been some problems with it over there. But there's also some really leading companies that are doing a great job uh, with creating sustainability regimes uh, over the fisheries over there, uh, really sustaining the resource to sustain their own business. So you know, it's always good when sustainability is in the best interest of all the parties involved, uh, as, as it is, especially the Phillips family, like the Phillips Crab Shack, Phillips Crab House uh, brand. Um, they really do a good job looking towards the future. So, uh, But as always, check your, uh, your wallet guides for Seafood Watch, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch program, or just work with a retailer that you trust. Um, most grocery stores in America are doing a really pretty good job with the products that they have on the shelf uh, so anyway there you go Marcy appreciate you all right let's do some king crab here and then we'll get back to another couple questions so king crab as I mentioned uh, are very large animals they can have a, a span of up to eight feet I've heard uh, there's a four species of king crab there's the red the golden the blue um, Maybe that's it. Anyway, uh, they're all interchangeable. Uh, there's some very subtle, slight nuance differences between them, but by and large, they're they're all delicious. They're all impressive. They all have a high yield. Uh, again, these are walking crabs, and so they're going to have on each side four legs like this, on which they scuttle around the bottom. And then they're going to have the claw crabs. No, sorry, the claw legs as well that are in the front. So these are coming to us almost entirely frozen, uh, having been cooked in a brine solution, uh, sometimes on the boat uh, or very there, very close there after capture. Uh, and then are deep frozen, often sheathed in a micro-mist of water to create that sheath of protective ice. Cleaning these is really very, very satisfying and easy. You've got that lump meat down at the bottom here. The cartilage on these is obviously a little bit bigger. So it's a little harder to get through, but ultimately easier to work with because, well, it doesn't hide nearly as well as little bits of cartilage from other species can. So just feel around with your fingers for that meat, and it feels very different than cartilage, so you you know when you're on it. Taking out those lumps, you've got that nice big lump at the bottom of this joint here that you can continue to rip around. And generally, the shells on these are soft enough that you can just use a little bit of hand strength and get to them and you get these giant pieces of just pure meat, which is really, really awesome and fun to work with. Um, I mean, from a fancy pants perspective, you can slice this very thin and make almost like a carpaccio of the crab. You can, of course, pick it apart like you would like pulled pork, so you get these nice long strands of that muscle which have a particularly nice chew to them etc. Um, but Or you could just dunk this in butter and then rub it all over your face and then eat it because it's the most awesome thing in the world. Just use good butter. It's one thing I've never understood. I'm just going to take a little tangent here. You're going to spend $55 a pound on this and then you're going to go buy the, the budget butter to dunk it in. Don't, don't Don't do that. Spend the extra $3 on the good butter. All right. It's worth it. Butter is butter is one of those ingredients that it's so foundational in the flavor of whatever it's used in. I'm mostly an olive oil cook, but like if I'm gonna use butter, I want good butter. I mean it's not just a function, it's it's a part of the formula. So there you go. So again, to clean these, sort of work against the the uh, the motion of the leg itself. You can, if you keep it intact, you can pull that cartilage right out. And then, as soon as you get a crack in that shell, you can begin going around. And then just kind of slide it out. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yep. As I said, food cooking for people is an act of love, right? This is an act of true love to give this to somebody. They'll know you love them. So look through for any extra little pieces like that. So there you go. And you can continue on all the way up. So really two crab legs for me is enough. I don't tend to go overboard with protein anyway, especially animal protein. So uh, really two legs is, I mean, if you were to eat this much doubled and still there's another piece in this one leg, like that's that's six, seven, eight ounces of meat right there. Throw in the butter that you're going to put on top of it and you got a full meal. So uh, another type of crab that we'll talk about quickly is not actually crab. It's surimi or imitation seafood. Uh, I say seafood, it could be imitation crab or imitation scallop, imitation fish, et cetera. But it's generally pollock uh, trim, like tails and such, which are then pureed and flavored, uh, molded, pressed, molded, uh, and then cooked. And you know what? Imitation crab meat was not very good when I was a kid, but right now there's some stuff on the market that's really, really very tasty. And it's full of omega-3s, it's it's a processed product, yes, but like imitation crab is to crab is not the same as spam is to pork. It's just not the same. Um, It's just a better quality product. So I I encourage the use of that too. So anyway, there you go, king crab. All right, let's take a couple more questions uh, from PR. Hi, friend. What's the standard procedure methodology for cooling hot food to store in the chiller? Okay. Uh, <coughs> so the, the rule of thumb is to get it as cold as fast as possible. And so, uh, I'm, you know, if you're in a walk-in situation in a professional kitchen, you uh, putting food, say if you have a a big batch of of green curry, if you have a big batch of beef stew, whatever it is, I put it in a hotel pan. Give it the largest surface area. Surface area is what allows the transfer of heat, either heat into it or heat out of it. So in this case, you want to draw that heat out, give it the most uh, surface area you can. If you put your beef stew in a pot that's this big, you don't have that surface area. You don't have that evaporation, et cetera. So it's going to take a long time for the center of that to cool, right? You might get some cooling from the outside, but that's what you want to do is just get it as cold as possible, as fast as possible. Even if you, you know, professional kitchens with big pots of soup and stocks and things like that, where they're making 50 gallons at a time, there are these big Tubes, plastic tubes filled with water that are frozen into basically water popsicles that are then plunged in to introduce cold right into the stockpot, right? So you wouldn't want to do that with ice because you wouldn't want to melt the ice and dilute your product. But there you go. And then once it is chilled down far enough, then you can put it into a more storable, easily stackable container, etc. But there you go. Hey, thanks, PR. Appreciate you. All right, from Sylvia, are there any types of pans that should not be used when the dish includes the flambe technique? <laughs> That's a fun one. Any recommendations for safety when doing it in a residential kitchen? A microwave is mounted above my cooktop. Sure. Uh, so I would say the only thing to the heat of the burn on alcohol is not going to be higher than the heat of propane or of electric that is touching the pan. So The only thing I would say is, you know, pans are typically designed for the heat to be pushed through the bottom. And if there is any sort of rim on it that could melt is the only thing I can think of, but I I don't have any such pan like that. So I don't even really know of that type of pan, but I've seen all sorts of things for sale in kitchen stores. So, uh, you know, if there's any plastic basically anywhere on it that can melt, that otherwise wouldn't be exposed to heat, avoid that. But otherwise, no, a a flambe pan is, uh, I mean, universal. You do want to have some surface area though. Uh, You wouldn't want to flambe something in a tiny little deep crock or, you know, coquette uh, because the alcohol is going to get down into it and then not be exposed to the flame. And so you're going to end up with raw alcohol somewhere in the mix that's going to lead to the flavor. And once alcohol is integrated into a liquid or whatever medium it is, it's hard to get it out entirely. It's hard to burn it off. So having something with a little bit of a, a good surface area to it uh, is key so that you can get that burn and you can also control the burn and, and get it off quickly. You don't want to be burning for a long time. Uh, and in terms of safety, with a microwave above it, I would just say, uh, work in batches here. Uh, so if your bananas foster recipe calls for an ounce and a half or two ounces of bourbon or brandy, there's no reason why you can't add a half an ounce at a time, <clears throat> flame it off. Uh, you don't need to dig a flambe pan into, into the stove to turn it, you know, to get it going. Uh, of course that's what they do on TV. And, and you know, if you're good at it and you are in a restaurant, fine. You can do that and use the flame there. But the thing is, I don't wanna flame the fat that's in it, the butter that the bananas have been cooking in. I don't wanna burn that because that's gonna have a flavor to it. So I will pull the pan off of the heat. I will then add the, um, the alcohol off the heat and then either use a stick uh, lighter or the, the heat from the, from the, um, uh, the burner itself to ignite that and i can do that over here where i've got just ceiling above me no microwave no anything else that can burn and if you're really worried about the amount of alcohol in there creating a big fireball just do it in small batches Uh, things that are flambéed are rarely cooked in batches meaning you you don't really i've never seen anybody cook more than two servings of bananas foster really at at a time Right, you're not doing it in giant pots where it calls for like 20 ounces of alcohol to be burned in, you know, poured in, because guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna create a giant fireball. You don't wanna do that. So it's sort of a la minute, a la carte, uh, you know, single dishes. Um, the other thing I like about flambe dishes is uh, serving them in the dish that it's flambeed in. So nice small dishes like this Staub, this is a fish pan that I do actually quite a bit of flambe in. Flambe is not just des- dessert, by the way. So, you know, I'll put a piece of fish in there, skin side down, turn it over, turn the heat off so that it's about three quarters of the way cooked. I'll throw in some Herb saant, some Pernod, some Anise flavored liqueur, something like that. And uh, then I'll burn that off and add a pat of butter on top. So I'll serve the whole thing kind of in the dying flames after most of the alcohol has been burned off and it's sort of melting all together, that butter emulsifying with the fish juices and the alcohol. Flavor. It's like, there you go. And you bring that to the table and people are like, You know, I mean, they know you love them and it's fun, right? And I mean, if you're flambéing food, it's because you're a fun person. This is the bottom line. Like morose, boring people don't flambé things. It's just, that's just the truth. Anyway, so that you're asking about flambé makes me know that you are a fun, awesome person that I would love to cook with. So thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you. All right. Another one from Sylvia. When buying king crab in the store, it's usually frozen and some parts are tastes super salty. Do you have any recommendation on good quality sources, frozen fresh, uh, don't live near the coast? Sure. Uh, so when king crab is boiled, it is often already been, um, sometimes it's already been separated off the body like this. So any crab meat down here is going to be exposed directly to the water. Anywhere that it's exposed directly to the water, obviously that meat is going to be saltier. Uh, so these areas down here can be really salty. I, I agree with you on that. Um, <clears throat> look for any little breaks in the shell, such as that right there, which was there before I, I started. So that's going to let salt water in. The other thing is, honestly, it's just a bit of a crapshoot uh, because, from what I understand, so i've got a 500 gallon vat in which you know steam kettle in which the crabs are are cooked you know in the processing facility well the first crabs that go into that water well there's i don't know let's say 450 gallons of water right and they put in the right ratio of salt and then well the last batch of crabs goes in and that water has been reducing down over time uh, the crabs have added their own salt. And it's sort of the, the flavor and salinity of that water concentrates a little bit. Um, and so sort of by the end of that batch, say, it, well, it's just a little bit saltier water, more intense. And so yeah, you getting more intense flavor. Um, and I'm okay with that. And the way that I handle that from a culinary perspective is if I get a piece and I'll taste it and it's like, whoa, like that is... Uh, I will not, that's so, salty. I would not enjoy eating this. Well, great. Then break it up and change your goal, you know, change your dish for the night. Don't blame the crab because you can change pretty easily, right? Make a pasta, uh, throw it on top of a ratatouille, uh, put it in a risotto, etc. Build it into another dish that can absorb some of that salt because the crab is still very good, even though it's salty, it just needs to be managed a little bit differently. And in terms of good sources, uh, you know, if you're if you're buying crab, if, if you use it regularly enough that you're really looking for something, it's it's worth going online to say like a company like Trident or American Seafoods, uh, leaders up in Alaska who are doing uh, some great work. Um, you can buy directly from some companies, from some fishermen who are doing things like, uh, like that. So, and if you can handle, uh, from a budget perspective, also from your freezer perspective to have 20 pounds of king crabs uh, arrive at once, um, that's a good way to do it. Cause you know that you're sort of buying from the batch, uh, you know what you're getting and, and you're getting it close to the source as well. So cheers, Sylvia. Appreciate you. Hey, hell P. Nice to see you, friend. Thanks for joining, as always. You're saying Victoria Day was great. I'm so glad for that. Uh, Patriots Day was, too, here. Indeed. How long can I safely keep cooked crab legs from our Salish Sea in the refrigerator? Cheers. Well, Hilda, as always, great question. Nice to see you back. Uh, Once crab is cooked, you've got maybe three days or so, I think, if you're cooking it at home. cooked crab meat that comes packaged like this typically might have a five to eight day shelf life or so. Uh, There's so much moisture in crab meat and there's so much air introduced in the picking process. And there's so much surface area to it that it's just, it it goes bad quicker. So if you have king crab legs, something like this, or Dungeness crab, the less you break it down, the longer it's going to last just because you've introduced the surface bacteria that exists on everything, not as deeply into the mix, etc. So you've just kind of not kick started the process. But I would say really uh three days max really what you're looking at, keep it covered. Crab meat can dry out really easily um and get a really tinny, nasty flavor to it. So you wouldn't want to ruin your investment doing that. Um, yeah, but if you know you're buying Whole crabs, or you've got a glut of them all of a sudden from a friend, or you went out and caught them yourself. I understand that uh, you know you have to sort of budget out your use for it. But the other thing to do is, uh, you know, I have no problem freezing or even refreezing crab. It's not going to be perfect, but if you're you know, you've got all this crab meat sitting around that's otherwise going to go bad, put it in you know a good Ziploc freezer bag, lay it all out flat in the bag so it looks nice and, and you can tell how much is in there squeeze the air out of it as much as possible. Uh, and then do up the the seal so that you keep as much air out of it and then put them on a tray and then freeze them on that tray. So you retain the integrity and texture of that meat. And it's not just this bag of freezer whatnot. Um, but that when you thaw it out, you can pull it out, know what you're working with, etc. Um, and one other thing that I find important, um, When freezing foods, any foods, is to freeze them in quantities that you think you're going to use all of later, right? So what's the use of freezing tomato sauce in one and a half quarts if every recipe, every time you make pasta with tomato sauce, you use one quart, right? Don't fill up the bag just because you have the bag. Fill up the bags to the amount that you're going to need. Just a good little tip for you. All right. From Brian, snow crab from my local grocer seems to be old, frozen more than once. How can I tell before I buy how fresh it is? Understanding it's always frozen. Sure. So really look down at the meat here, the exposed meat at the leg. Uh, any discoloration there is going to show that, well, it's been exposed to air. It's been exposed to different temperatures, etc. as freezers open and close. And that just evolves advances the flavor profile of it, and it can get kind of tinny and and nasty. It can also dry out. Uh, Some color on there is fine. You're going to get little bits of colored cartilage or maybe some of that hepatopancreas that's in there that colors it. That's fine, but it should otherwise just look bold and resilient and fresh, right? Uh, The legs should be intact. The joints should, I mean, they're going to be frozen, so you're not going to be doing this. Uh, Look at the package that they're in you know, oftentimes it's a 20 ounce box or so that people have been pulling out one or two of at a time, maybe. And and I don't know exactly how it's worked, but, um, you know, is the package in order or does it look like it's been beat up and has been in there for a long time? Uh, And that ice sheath that covers it uh, with good quality product should be intact in the freezer, right? And that shows you that it hasn't gone through a thaw, freeze, thaw, freeze cycle at all. And, also smell it, though frozen seafood doesn't really have as much olfactory, uh, you know, power as does fresh. Of course, um, you're still going to be able, you're still going to be able to smell off, smelling freshness. You know, the cucumber, the hint of watermelon, maybe a touch of violet, uh, kind of on the aromas. That sea salty fragrant air. Yeah, okay. You're not going to be able to smell all that. So fine, I can't detect freshness, but I can detect age because age does really begin to deteriorate and, and show off those, those lesser qualities. So, I would say that. If you can't identify the, the positive, at least knowing what the negatives are is a good idea. All right, from Regina. Hey, Chef, thanks for brightening up this chilly cloudy day in New Jersey. You're so very welcome, thanks for joining. always look forward to your office hours. And I love that you uh, typed out your emoji, smiley, because I do that because I am a Luddite and I refuse to participate in technology despite beaming to you from my kitchen here. But I love that you did that, Regina. Thank you so much. Smiley right back at you. From Bob G., would you briefly discuss stone crabs, particularly how they differ different from Blue Dungeness King, etc.? Sure. Great question, Bob. So stone crab is a, uh, Sort of, it, it is a unique species. Uh, it is a walking crab, and it's caught in southern waters. They're most famous in Florida uh, areas there, but they're caught as far as uh, Bahamas, throughout the Caribbean, up into the Carolinas as well. Uh, stone crabs are smaller-bodied crabs, um, and they're a little bit more boxy uh, than per se these sort of broader, wider crabs, like the dungeons that I showed you. Uh, and their shells are extremely hard, extremely hard, and their bodies small. So there's not a whole lot of meat inside of a stone crab, uh, so you're not going to get that done. The, those big lumps like in the Dungeness. Really, it's the stone crab claws that you're after, and that's a classic cocktail. You know, Joe's Stone Crab restaurant kind of made their name on those crab, clockta- crab claw cocktails, often served with a mustard sauce, which is mayonnaise, cream, mustard, um, a little bit of Worcestershire, some Tabasco, like. Duh, that's going to taste good. Um, but the stone crabs are very interesting. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways to fish them. They're they're trap caught, uh, but then some people, or in the past at least, there was a fishery for them where the females were left largely alone, the breeding population could survive. But then the males, the one claw was ripped off, and then the living animal was thrown back into the wild. Crabs, like some other animals in the in the kingdom. Uh, are able to regenerate lost limbs um, because they're feisty bellicose fighting (laughs) creatures. And so their biology just expects them to lose an arm, right? (laughs) Like, ah, that's cool. We'll regrow another one. Like, yeah, that doesn't prove they're (laughs) like biologically crazy and violent. They are. Um, But uh, you know, that crab would then grow that claw back. And in and that earned it the name, the recyclable crab, um, so, uh, there you go with that. But I've also heard that there is a, a lot of a fishery as well, where just the crab is taken, both claws are taken. Uh, and, and that is that, but, uh, those must be, those are almost always cooked ahead of time as well, just because the claw begins to go bad so fast after it's off the live animal. Uh, and I think this is a good thing. The quality of stone crab is very high often. It's also a very high price point product and, uh, In most processing, a saw or a laser or a water jet is used to crack the claw a little bit so that there's an opening in there so that you can just even a butter knife will help pop it open. So look for that. Uh, The tips of them should be uh, black, the beautiful orange ochre coloration across them. They should look fresh. They should smell not bad. Um... Yeah. There you go. Cheers. Thanks, Bob. And, uh, you know, in, in different for stone crabs, one last thing I'll say about them is that for all other crabs, like, man, I use them in everything from a, you know, a Louie style salad where they just kind of sit on top or a chopped salad to risottos to integrating them into ratatouilles, et cetera, curries. I mean, you name it, stir fries, everything. Stone crabs stir, served as cocktail. Uh, sort of a dip and eat thing. That's almost the only way that I've ever eaten them or seen them. So yeah, that's big difference there. So, all right. From Eric. Hey, Barton, most crab I see in plastic containers has citrus as a preservative. Interesting. Uh, how do you deal with that? Just sort of rinsing the meat dilutes the flavor. Interesting, Eric. I've actually never seen that. I might, I might've seen like citric acid added um, just as a color preservative uh, and the acid there just helps to deter some of that bacteria growth. So, uh, I would say this is probably, probably in, in pasteurized crab, uh, specifically, uh, I would say it's not so much of a deal if, I mean, if they're adding so much citric acid or even just citrus juice to it, um, that it, it affects the flavor, then don't be buying, just don't buy that brand really is, is, I mean, that, that's a flaw an error in the processing if you, if you can really taste it. Um, it's not there for culinary purposes. It's there for microbiological purposes. Um, so it really shouldn't affect the flavor. Uh, and, and definitely don't ever wash crab. Uh, So much of the flavor is in the liquid that, that surrounds it. Uh, you know, that's what I was saying about this, the liquid that came out of the frozen Dungeness, uh, washing crab is just going to you're just gonna wash away most of the flavor from it. Uh, also damage the texture and you're also going to, because crab has so much surface area, uh, you're gonna introduce a lot of water into whatever dish you're making because it's, it's very hard to get the water out unless you really wring it dry and then at that point you're just kind of killing it again and getting mad at your crab. So um, there you go. Interesting though, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into that So Eric, thanks. Hey, Sylvia. Again, you're a fun new friend. Really appreciate you joining. I appreciate all the great questions, Sylvia. Please join us again. Is there a good way to thaw a crab other than letting it sit in the refrigerator for a day or two? Uh, uh, yeah, you can leave it on the counter. <laughs> I can't uh, officially suggest that as, as, as advice coming from Ruby because that is not food safe. Personally, is it something that I do in my own home kitchen and feed to my young children and wife? Yes, yeah. Uh, because I know exactly how long it's been out there and find it's, it's a risk that I personally am willing to take. I wouldn't do it for anyone outside of my family if I was serving them. Uh, but also, the quality of frozen seafood matters uh, on how well it was frozen. And by well, I mean how quickly. So when you freeze water, it, it crystallizes and expands the slower you freeze it, the more it crystallizes and the bigger the ice crystals get. So the water that's inside of a cell, as it freezes, as you freeze the fish or the crab, that water expands and it ruptures those cells with those sharp ice crystals, right? So if you're freezing at 20 degrees, it's gonna take a long time for that cold to really penetrate to fully freeze, especially because there's so much salt naturally in crab which lowers the freezing temperature to like 28 maybe instead of 32 for just water. So you don't want to freeze slowly. You want to freeze really fast. And that's the advantage of really great quality processed product is that they froze it at very low temperatures, negative 40, maybe even negative 80 degrees. So it happens very quickly. So you get less rupturing of those cell walls. What does that mean? You get more retention of water. You get more just sort of structural integrity of that natural product. That's freezing of the product. Here's the thing. Thawing of the product also has impact on the flavor and the structural integrity of it. If you put something, if you put it under hot water, running water, obviously you're sort of just, nothing likes going from extremes. That's, that's just, you know, I mean, in cooking, aside from like high, high heat steering on something where you're very specifically trying to get a reaction out of it, like really you don't ever want opposites to meet. Like it's just not good for the middle ground. I mean, it's just, yeah. So if you try and thaw something out too quickly, you can end up doing more damage to it and you end up with a lesser quality product. So, but Hey, I mean, if it's Tuesday night and you just need dinner and your crab is still frozen, I'm not going to tell you to just have dinner on Wednesday morning. No, like that's not, that's not the answer. Break it open. Um, you know, if you, if you really need to, you can break it when it's frozen, you can still do this. Maybe use a towel so you don't get your hands janked up by the, you know, little pincer and whatever little spikes on it, open it up. That's going to get some more airflow into it. Just through the cavities, you can, um, you know, use a mallet, crack it a little bit. You can certainly wash off that ice sheath from the outside, just under cold water, um, you know, if, if the, the claws are still intact, you don't want to get the, the water onto the meat itself. A little bit of water down here is fine. Um, but just, you know, if you can remove a, the, you know, this cloak of ice, fine, great. That's a, that's one way to do it. Um, but really it's, it's the foreplanning uh, and getting it into the fridge in enough time. And to be perfectly honest with you, this morning, for the filming that I was doing, and I had these beautiful Dungeness crabs, and I had four of them that I was working with, and I pulled them out of the freezer last night and put them in the fridge, and this morning, they were still completely, totally frozen. So what did I do? I'm not going to tell you, because I can't. They were still delicious. They were still worth it, but I won't reveal the terrible secrets that even, even top-trained chefs sometimes have to use just to make reality work. So there you go. Sylvia, I appreciate you, fun having you join. Diane, how old is a king crab when you see those very long legs? Uh, interesting question, I actually don't know much about the life cycle of a king crab. Um, so some crabs are just bigger, like the, the golden king crab is, I, I believe, the largest species, uh, blue and red king. Uh, they're slightly smaller, so you can just, you had different growth rates. So a three-year-old golden is gonna be bigger than a three-year-old blue. Um, none of this is ever really labeled necessarily. Uh, so you're, you're not gonna be able to discern that uh, necessarily from the packaging. Uh, but I, I don't know how old they are. Now they live in very, very cold waters. Things that live in very, very cold waters uh, tend not to grow very quickly. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'd say they're, they're, they are older, probably, uh, probably over a decade old. I'm just going to hazard a guess. So blue crab, uh, lives maybe five years. Dungeness crab, probably maybe 10 on max or so, I guess. Um, and they molt to grow. So they'll molt 23 to 30 times or so over the course, course of their life. Um, but I don't, I don't know about a king crab. Interesting question. Interesting question. I love it. Well, I've loved, I have an hour with you here today. I love all of you. Food and, and cooking for others, feeding others is an act of love. And that is something you certainly are bringing to the table. Uh, and that you are a part of the Ruby family is an amazing thing and shows that you take food very seriously. And I just, I love having you here with me. So, I'd love to have you actually here in my kitchen someday. Wouldn't that be fun? But until then, I join us again at any of these live events. I'm usually on every other week or so. Send me an email, barton at ruby.com. If you have any suggestions about a class that you'd like me or a topic you'd like us to cover, Uh, we're always happy to get to it. I do talk about more than just seafood, you know. But, um, yeah, we uh, try and arrange these topical uh, events, and I'm so glad you joined. I hope that you are warm, I hope that you are well, I hope that you are well fed, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Cheers y'all, bye.